In your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As we have spent several weeks going back a couple months. The beginning of Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Such a great passage. We had different men each night spend some time on those. I want us to look tonight at verses 11 and 12 as we bring that to a close. In your bulletin I have... Not your everyday reasons to rejoice. Not your everyday reasons to rejoice. So often we think that rejoicing goes with good things. Rejoicing goes with happiness. Rejoicing goes with getting things. Rejoicing goes with good news. And certainly it does, but in our passage tonight at the end of the Beatitudes, it seems like Jesus is not referring to those things. And and so I want us to try to filter through what he's saying and what he's not saying. Read with me, if you will, at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then our verse for tonight. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the Beatitudes, you have positions or attitudes or characteristics of people who are blessed. Poor in spirit, that's a good thing. Mourning, that's a good thing. Meek, it's a good thing. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's a good thing. You're merciful, that's good. Pure in heart, that's good. Peacemaker, that's good. And then verse 10 is persecuted for righteousness' sake. That doesn't seem necessarily to be good. And then in verse 11, you have three things. Others reviling you, persecuting you, and uttering all kinds of evil against you falsely. Now, if we just take those at face value and saying this is what's going on in my life, it would sound bad. If somebody was saying harsh things to you, reviling you, just spitting out harsh words at you, that would not seem to be good. If somebody was persecuting you, Persecution being like some physical opposition to you, okay? Some physical opposition to you. If, if that was happening to you, you would not like it. If you walked outside today going to your car and there were some people in the parking lot who were pushing you and throwing you down on the ground and saying, I'm not letting you leave, you, that would not necessarily seem to be a good thing. And then the third one, uh, when people, others, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. This would not be good either. Now, when you look at these three, um, 
These types of things are not things that we're unfamiliar with. Okay, let's let's wait for a second. Uh, We are familiar with people reviling people every day in your life. You hear somebody tearing down somebody else. Okay, Uh, we are familiar with people getting jumped or getting in fights or for there to be hostility or there to be um, uh, mobs or those types. We see we see physical um, confrontation. And then it's normal for us to hear people utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. That happens. If you're a kid or you're in school, this happens all the time. This is gossip. This is people talking. This is he said, she said. This is people saying this about her and people saying this about him. And and yet these things we know to be bad in and of themselves just like that. They are bad. And I, I want to make sure that you see that. Jesus is not saying something here that is so backward and weird and extreme that, that we're some weirdo cult hiding in here. And we don't want people to know what is the truth that we rally around. That's not the case. Uh, being reviled is a bad thing. Being persecuted or abused or opposed is a bad thing. And somebody uttering all kinds of evil against you falsely um, or, or uttering all kinds of evil against you is, is a bad thing. Okay? But Jesus calls it blessed. What in the world could put those type of dealings, those type of treatments, those type of actions in such a perspective... That Jesus says, man, what a blessing. What a blessing. If we had spent time tonight before I told you we were going to the Beatitudes and I had said, anybody got any blessings they want to share? I'd almost guarantee you that nobody would have raised these type of things. This is just not the way we think. But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount with these Beatitudes, Jesus says, these things are a blessing. Why? Would reviling and persecution and false accusations, why? Why would that be a blessing? Because you're doing it in his name. That's right, Bill. Look what it says there at the very end of that sentence. On my account. You know, very rarely do you have Jesus speaking in a way like this that immediately causes you to say, am I on his account? I want to ask you tonight if you're on Jesus' account. I want to ask you if what the world gets from you is the account of Jesus. The key to understanding verse 11 is that Jesus has an account. And it is possible for human beings to be on his account. There's a country club right over here in Fairdale called South Park Country Club. And there's a man in Fairdale named Donnie Stinson who, uh, I'm not sure if he still does, but used to have a, a membership at the country club. And, and he was telling me that if you have a membership at the country club, you don't really pay for things there. You just go there and do whatever you want and they put it on your account. He told me that he... His grandkids are grown now, but years ago, he used to take his grandkids up to the pool during the summertime at the country club, and they would, they would swim and play all day long, and they realized that the country club works off an account. And he said one day that the kids were up there swimming without him, and then the bill came a little bit later on, and there was $50 in charges just from the candy snack bar. Of course, he was laughing about it. That's a good old story for a grandpa to tell about 
his grandkids running up the accounts off of candy at the snack bar. But you get the idea of what it means to have an account. Now, what's important to understand here is, do you so live and function and operate that people deal with you, relate to you, and interact with you based off Jesus' account? Now, a lot of people, worldly people who say that they're Christians, will try to find comfort in this verse because they're getting reviled, they're being persecuted, and people are gossiping about them, but they're trying to find comfort with it without the account part. I want to ask you, do you have an account with Jesus? What does it mean to have an account with Jesus? To have an account with Jesus would be that your life is uh, modeled or, or represented by you're a follower of Christ. You, you confess Christ as Lord and Savior over you. You know Him to be God. You know Him to be the one who died for your sins. You know yourself to be a sinner. There's no arrogance or pride in you. Only a need for mercy. Only a need for mercy and a need for the forgiveness of sins. A person who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then, by faith as Jesus and Lord and Savior, you now aim, seek to walk by faith in obedience to the teaching of Christ. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Believers in Jesus are those who are aiming to be taught by all that God has commanded us. The Christian is somebody who says, this is my manual for life. This is what life is about to me and I want to do that. The person who has that type of a faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is committed to Christ in that sort of way, is on his account. If somebody who knows you has a problem with that and therefore reviles, therefore persecutes, therefore utters all kinds of evil against you falsely on your, your, on your, on Jesus' account. What is the response of Jesus? You're blessed. What Jesus is really getting at here is if your life is aligned with my life, if your life is aligned with my teaching, you're blessed. See, Jesus isn't really worried about what the consequences of that are. Notice Jesus' life. If we wanted to look for passages in the Bible that were full of just good old sweet kind of nice stories, we could find a lot of those. Both for the New Testament church and for the life of Jesus. There's a lot of neat things happening. There's stories in there of Jesus being at parties and them having a good time. There's stories in there of Jesus being at a wedding. There's stories in there of Jesus being with children. There's stories of people being sick there and being healed. There's stories of, of, of them uh, eating meals together. There's some neat stuff happening. Good teaching sessions. Uh, hungry people. Jesus feeds them all. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of good, neat stories there. There's also a lot of stories that are awful. A lot of stories in there where somebody dies. A lot of stories in there where Jesus has to rebuke somebody. A lot of stories there where somebody's life is in shambles. A lot of stories there where people are turned away from Jesus. A lot of stories there where somebody denies Jesus. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of hard to read stories in the New Testament. What I'm getting at is that the, the consequence that comes from being aligned with Jesus isn't the important thing to Jesus. The are you aligned with Jesus? Now, if the consequence does happen to be uh, that you are reviled, persecuted, and people saying the bad things about you, if that is what's happening, Jesus says you're blessed. 
because your life is so aligned with him. Now, what you and I have to be asking ourselves, especially living in America, where we don't really have a lot of physical opposition, there's not a whole lot of persecution that goes on in America. Um, maybe there is some reviling against the, against the church and against Christian people. I think the biggest one for us would be people uttering false things about you uh, on Jesus' account. That's probably the biggest one. But we have to be a people who are constantly examining ourselves to see, are what they're getting from me Jesus? Are they upset with Jesus in me? Are they upset with me being aligned with Jesus? Or are they just upset with me? And I want to encourage you as a church, who it is continually, increasingly becoming more of a concern of mine, to what is the world, what is Fairdale, what is Louisville getting from us? Are they having to deal with us and our attitudes? Or are they dealing with Christ in us? One great teacher has said that the gospel of Jesus is offensive in and of itself. What we say to people is that you are a sinner and God's wrath remains on you, but God loves you. You need to repent and believe and be saved. That's the message. And one teacher has said that that message alone, the gospel message, is an offensive message. Therefore, the church needs to be very careful to not offend people in any area. Let the gospel do the offending, not us. We are to be humble. We are to be loving. We are to be serving Romans 12, 18 says, in light of this passage, think about this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you know that verse? Now, there's a lot of Christian people. I know some even living here in Fairdale who they think that part of what it means to be a Christian is to ruffle everybody's feathers. And they're constantly wanting to say things that upset people. Not, they don't promote peace. Let's go up just a few verses right here. Verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers. And we loved the sermon that we heard that night where where the challenge of Jesus is what a blessing it is. If you are the person that creates peace. Romans twelve eighteen says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, who we are as individuals should not be something that's upsetting people, ruffling, uh, ruffling Feathers, getting people upset, rubbing people the wrong way. We don't want to be doing that. But we do, we must be aligned with the Lord Jesus Christ. The teaching that comes from Scripture. And if being aligned with Jesus, being on His account, people have a problem with that. Not you, but what you believe. Not you, but Christ in you. Not you, but the God that you worship. If their problem is really with God. You remember in Exodus how we keep saying, Moses keeps pointing out, you're not really grumbling at me, you're grumbling at God. That, that type of an idea. And if that is the case, Jesus here says it's a blessing. So you and I have to be grown. We have to be mature. We have to be adults. To always be asking ourselves, are they upset with me or are they upset with, with, with Jesus? And if they're upset with us, in the name of Jesus, then that's hypocritical. If you're rude and trying to say that you're a Christian, or you're not as, as helpful as you know you ought to be, or whatever the case might be, then that is hypocrisy. That is a shame. That is wrong. 
And you're a problem. But as that is repented of and God gives grace and God forgives you, and you live in line with Jesus, that's a blessing. Notice that what comes to us based off our allegiance to Jesus doesn't seem to bother Jesus. He says, what a blessing. How could this be? Look at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. So he calls it a blessing in verse 11. And in verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad at it. Not only are you blessed, because we've been labeled blessed before and think, well, it doesn't really feel too much like a blessing, right? A lot of times we try to comfort people by kind of look at something from a different direction and from a different perspective. And we try, well, you can see it as a blessing, right? I mean, now, I mean, you got all this hard stuff going on, but now you're able to have some more free time or you're able to read a little bit more. Or you're able to settle down a little bit, right? And you try to just kind of spin things in a little bit different light. That's good and that's helpful, but uh, and that's not necessarily reason for rejoicing. Jesus here in verse 11 calls it a blessing, but in verse 12 says, no, it really is a blessing. You can rejoice at this. You can, you can be glad. You can be singing. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. This is one of the things that is absolutely remarkable about Jesus. Jesus always only seems to care about what God's impression is, what God's perspective is, what is God's uh, uh, understanding of this. Jesus was so absolutely tunnel vision on I do what God wants me to do. I worship God. I glorify God. I aim to do what God wants me to do. Always, always, always. He never got off the path of thinking God's perspective is really the only perspective that I care about. You know, we, we, we humans often get in a position where we think, right, my priorities are a little bit out of whack or I'm struggling here. I need to get a bigger perspective. I need to look at the big picture. I need to look at the small picture. We go through all those phases. Jesus was not like that. Jesus was always thinking, what is God's perspective on this? And Jesus here says, you can rejoice and be glad at this. Why? Because you're right with God. Because you're in the name of Jesus. Because you're in the name of the Father. You are on Jesus' account. And if you're on Jesus' account, rejoice at that. And if you're faithful to God, even in the midst of or, or and it brings about reviling persecution and somebody uttering false things about you, if that's happening. Rejoice. Why? Because you got reward in heaven. You know, the Bible teaches there will be rewards in heaven, it teaches that. And our rewards in heaven will go to those who are faithful unto God. And Jesus seems to say, hey, that's awesome. If somebody pushed back with, yeah, but, but now I don't have any friends. And now I'm going to be lonely. Yeah, but now everybody's going to think that I'm, now everybody's going to believe their lies about me. Yeah, but now I, I got all these bruises. Now they beat me up. Yeah, but now they, they keep saying all this bad stuff about me. Rejoice and be glad. God, God loves that. Your reward in heaven is great. That, that's a blessing. Why? Because the perspective is God. He keeps going, though. Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he reminds us, this isn't new. This has always been the case. Listen, the message of God is not bothered, affected, changed by people's reaction to it. 
Let me say it again. The message of God is not bothered, affected, or changed by people's reaction to it. God's message is true and good and glorious, whether everybody's saying, yes, it is, or whether everybody's saying, no, it's not. In, in, in one real sense, we don't care the way people are reacting to the message of God. We believe it, so we align ourselves with it. Now, if that brings peace, praise God. If that brings persecution, praise God. Why? Because God is the standard. Because this is my Father's world. <clears throat> Real quickly, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter is a little bit hard to find. It's after James. Now, you, you read this in the Sermon on the Mount and you think, man, this is, this is the thing about the Beatitudes. These are hard. These are hard. It takes a walking by faith and eyes on Jesus, setting your mind on things above. It takes a trusting and anchoring in God. To be able to really live out the Beatitudes, to let that be our perspective. If one reads the Beatitudes like we read tonight, blessed are you when everybody's saying bad things about you. Man, that's hard. I'm going to be honest with y'all. As soon as I hear the first thing about, about you all saying bad things about me, it tears me up. It does. I'm one of those people that bothers me if you think bad things about me. It really does. So it's, it's one thing to read it, but it's a whole other thing to apply it. And that's why I turned to 1 Peter, because I want you all to see this is always the case. This, this matters to the church. Why? Because there are so many passages that say we're to be humble, loving, serving. We're to be a blessing. We're to live at peace with all people. So I, turn, I give you 1 Peter 4 because it seems to be an issue even there. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved... That's a sweet term of endearment it means he's talking to them with some affection. He wants to comfort them. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. In other words, these things happen. It happened in the time of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It's happening here with Peter writing. It happened a hundred years ago and it will happen now. As though something strange were happening to you. The next time you get reviled, the next time you're persecuted, the next time somebody's talking about you wrongly, don't say, man, it's crazy what's going on. Jesus says it's normal. It's normal. It's not strange. He says, don't act like something strange is happening to you. It's not strange. It's normal if you're going to have an allegiance to Jesus. Verse 13. But rejoice. Jesus said rejoice, so Peter says rejoice. Insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, why does it say Christ's sufferings? Christ suffered. What type of suffering did Christ do? Christ suffered, although he only did what is right. Christ suffered for doing the right thing. So this is what it means to be aligned with Jesus. You're doing what you should be doing. You're doing what God tells you to do and you're suffering in that manner. Verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again, just like the Beatitude says on Jesus' account, that's the key. Here the key is in the name of Christ. If you're insulted just because you're being insulted, it probably means you're wrong. You've been a jerk. It's probably what it means. But if you're insulted in the name of Christ, that's a blessing. Notice that the church has always had to deal with this. Jesus says, if they hated me, they will hate you. Jesus says, if they killed me, they're going to kill some of you. So the Beatitudes ends, if you flip back to Matthew 5, the Beatitude ends putting us in a perspective of, I've got to have my eyes on Jesus. I've got to have my eyes on Jesus. We've said it before and we say it again. It's not possible. It's not possible to live the Christian life the way God has designed us to live the Christian life if our eyes are not on Christ. It's not possible for us to deal with our circumstances. It's not possible for us to deal with the unexpected. It's not possible for us to deal with hardship that comes our way. It's not possible for us to deal with our sins. It's not possible for us to deal with the world that we encounter, opposition or embrace. If our eyes and focus are not on Jesus. There is a blessing in the face of reviling. There is a rejoicing in being glad. Why? Because we are thrilled that heaven sees our faithfulness. And may it be to us that as we read the rest of the Beatitudes, that now we desire to be poor in spirit and mournful and meek. We do hunger and thirst for righteousness and we, we so long to be a people who are merciful. We do want to be pure in heart and we want to be peacemakers. May that be the case. And if God uses it to reach the whole world and see all of Fairdale come to faith in Christ, praise God. But if God uses it to see people turn against us, praise God. May our focus be, though, Jesus. And that comes by knowing what he says, what he expects from us, and how he wants us to be. You find a church, men and women, young and old, families, marriages. You find people who are saying, I go by the word. And you'll see God working. You have reason for rejoicing. You'll have a glad people. Remember last Sunday night when Psalm 67 said that your ways may be known on earth, God's ways. How will that happen? As God blesses us. When our focus is on Him. May the Beatitudes be a comfort and a blessing to us as we aim to have the life of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, God, for Matthew 5, 11 and 12. God, may we really examine, are we on Jesus' account? Are we a type of people who delight in knowing where our reward is in heaven's response to us? Oh, God, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means to be blessed in that regard.
God, may the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount be something we, your children, embrace for the good of the church. And may you make our witness increase through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.